the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal and its editorial board. And is the book out today? When when is the actual? Is it today? It's today. So I have you. I have you on the day of its publication. I am honored. Kimberly Strassel's book, Resistance at All Costs: How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. It is. It is so. People should just know the subtitle and and say it every day like a mantra. Trump haters are breaking America. By the way, I just you you uh, you you write about the the decline of journalism. Do you know that in Sunday's Times? I just want you to know this because I don't expect you to have read every every piece in the, uh, the opinion page. A, a, they actually published an article saying in which Prager University was declared as a vehicle to lead people to racism and the alt right. That is unbelievable. So just to offer the the counter uh, version of that, uh, we watch it around my dinner table with my children. Um, And since I'm in no way in favor of my children embracing racism or the alt-right, I can guarantee that that is not what PragerU is about. (laughs) But, But the fact that they would publish that and then in the same thing that uh, Jordan Peterson is part of the dark web. Look, the media has lost all of its boundaries, and the left has lost all of its boundaries. And I think one of the sad things is that because they can't win with arguments these days, they take to either rigging the system or just demeaning their opponents and doing everything they can to denigrate them and make them out to be disreputable. Uh, and and it's, it's, we see it happening, not just with you, Dennis, or uh, those of us on the conservative side, but, you know, there's a campaign right now to delegitimize Attorney General uh, Bill Barr, uh, even to delegitimize uh, John Durham, the U.S. attorney who's looking into this, a guy who has a sterling reputation in Washington. This is an attempt to derail uh, what's coming. What is coming? Well, I, I think in terms of talking about the truth of what went on during the Russia collusion theory, uh, hoax over the past few years, I think there's a lot of details that are going to come out that probably are not going to be very flattering to a lot of people on the left and to people in the media who, who swallowed this for all that time. Do you have anything you can divulge that you're thinking specifically of? No, I don't, other than that I'm very optimistic given the two reports that Inspector General Michael Horowitz has already put out, one on Comey and one on McCabe, which I thought were pretty brutal, and it suggests he's not afraid to speak truth to power. Okay, so 
did you, when you wrote this book, and again, folks, I periodically tell you something is really important. This is one of them, resistance at all costs. When you were writing the book, were you writing, in effect, putting into a book what you already more or less knew with all your research to write your columns and editorials to the Wall Street Journal, or did new stuff come to you? So there's new things in the book, but I think the important part of the book is that it attempts to wrap together right. and put into context mm-hmm. the last three years. Mm-hmm. And when I started it, it was just because I'd spent all this time writing about the Russia collusion mess, and it just struck me that for three years, I'd been listening to the mainstream media and the left inform me that Donald Trump was breaking all these institutions, destroying democracy, undermining all of our most cherished things. And yet at the same time, I was doing all this reporting, which showed that, in fact, it was Jim Comey and Andrew McCabe and a a dossier from an opposition research firm and activist groups on the left that were, in fact, breaking all the rules in their ambition to get rid of a sitting president or a candidate at the time. And the more I looked around, the more I realized that that pretty much summed up that rule-breaking a whole bunch of things that we were seeing coming from the resistance to Donald Trump, whether they were breaking our Senate confirmation process during the Kavanaugh hearing, whether they are breaking the incredible power of the impeachment tool by using it for partisan purposes, whether they are uh, breaking uh, trust in the bureaucracy or trust in the FBI by abusing their powers. There's some real damage happening Mm -hmm. here, and it's Mm -hmm. long and it's lasting, and it's going to outlast Donald Trump by a long Mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. Okay. The details I want to get to, like Comey, your first chapter. Before that, though, one big macro question. You use the term in, in your subtitle of your book, Trump Haters. This hatred comes from where? Well, first of all, I'm so glad you point that out because I made a conscious decision to use that word and not use the word. When the publishers first came to me, they had the word critics. And I, <laughs> That's a riot. So I, I, I rejected that because, you know, critics. I'm a critic of, of, of Donald Of course, Trump exactly. You are too. Any yes. thinking person, right. it's, it's their obligation to look at a presidency and judge those things that are good and those things that are bad. The, the haters are something different. They have rejected this presidency before the president even took office and have been willing to take whatever means they deem necessary to get rid of him. That's a very distinct group of people that I put in that category. Um, and what I mean, and how did they get this way? Look, First of all, part of it, you know this, I think every Republican president gets a harder time from the media and, you know, obviously than others do. There's a certain disdain there for conservative ideas. All right. I think a huge amount of this comes from the fury of losing the 2016 election. And don't underestimate that. The left was banking on Barack Obama. I mean, Hillary Clinton extending Barack Obama's legacy of taking over the Supreme Court for the first time. They had grand ambitions and they were furious at the loss. But I think part of it is just they can't stand Donald Trump's brand of politics 
And there's a contempt for, I think what he's exposed is the contempt that a lot of the elites just have for average Americans who lean a little right um, and, and support these policies. So the, the hatred, uh, it's a very complex question, and I agree with everything you said. But So let's say, let us say, God forbid, the president died just peacefully in his sleep, and Mike Pence becomes president. Would there be less hatred? I don't know if there'd be less. I think there would be marginally less hatred, <laughs> put it that way. Um, uh, and I think that maybe... The tactics wouldn't be quite so insane, but what does worry me is that now that the left and the media have got a taste for this, for just doing whatever they want and breaking all the rules and barriers that they want, I, I'm, and I make this point in the book a lot, it's very hard to put these genies back into the bottle. Exactly. So let's talk about the genie before we get to Comey then. Let's talk about this, this, this genie of the, the press. What's happened? Well, what happened with the press? Look, again, you and I have known the press has always leaned left, and there's always been a bias there. But I've always, until the last few years, felt that it was sort of almost a passive bias in that I think the problem with the press is that a whole bunch of our writers, they all socialize with each other. They all think the same way. It's a bubble, right? There's a lack of diversity of viewpoint in newsrooms. And so sometimes they didn't even realize the degree to which they are biased or lean left. What we've seen in the last three years, and I've been in journalism for 25 years, is the active decision by the press corps to join one side of a partisan war and then to get rid of all of their standards that people have come to rely on in order to have a fair and free press, but to get rid of all of those standards to to use anonymous sources, by the way, many of whom are probably the people that are being accused of abuse while they were in power, to run uncorroborated accusations right and left uh, and just to sort of spin these theories. This is having a real damage. Again, the genie in the bottle thing. Once you get rid of those standards, how do you ever get them back? And right now, the press has accomplished the extraordinary feat of having an even lower approval rating than members of Congress. Do you know how hard that is? I I didn't know that. Uh, That's fascinating and and very disturbing, but merited. You you, you mentioned uh, President Obama. If the press were honest, how would they have reported his presidency in light of what they have reported now? Well, think about how often this press corps has suggested that Donald Trump is uh, breaking institutions or exceeding his authority, okay? And I go through this in the book because, look, I have no trouble saying that I think Donald Trump is very norm-breaking in certain ways, right? You'd be crazy not to say that. But I'd, I'd argue that it's mostly in terms of his rhetoric, his tweets, his demeanor in office. Mm-hmm. But if you actually look out at his agencies and you step back and take a breath and have an objective view of his policy and what has come out of his departments and his agencies, Mike Pence, the vice president, was in charge of the transition team. An enormous number of constitutional conservatives got put into the key posts. This has been a very rule-bound administration. 
Um, I mean, look, it's an administration. If you're a dictator, you don't go and, and get rid of tons of regulations and make the power of the federal government smaller. That's a great like, point. Yes. You know, uh, you don't appoint uh, right. textualist judges to the court right, right. Uh, that are going to follow the law. So. But if they, were, if they were being honest about this, these were the words they would have used about Barack Obama because the, the contrast is quite stunning. This was a guy, you know, pen and phone. Whenever he couldn't get Congress to pass legislation he wanted, he told his his agencies to just make it up, and he ruled by executive fiat. When Obamacare wasn't working, they just unilaterally changed the law. They politicized the Department of Justice and used it for political purposes, like going after the financial sector over things um, you know, just to make political points. These are things that should be very concerning. If the press had been honest, they would have talked about that administration's actions. That's, I just want to reemphasize your point. This is the man they accuse of being becoming a dictator, but he is the guy who's dismantling governmental power. Right. How exactly do dictators who who reduce governmental power become dictators <laughs> it, it's it's so obvious that it's it's painful and, and and here's another thing i just want you to react to i i have said this from the beginning of the trump administration to the shock of people who hate trump especially democrats we would like them to know we were just as unhappy with the second election of barack obama as you were with the first election of Donald Trump. But we didn't carry on. That's absolutely correct. And this gets, again, to the the rule-breaking. I think the problem, there's a reason these people call themselves the resistance. Think about what that evokes, Mm -hmm. Dennis. It's it's a a hearkening back to World War II and people who were fighting against an illegitimate occupying force. Mm-hmm. So that is their mentality, and therefore why they believe they are entitled to not follow all the rules that the rest of us followed, for instance, when Barack Obama was elected. It's not right, though. And we're ending up in a situation, I keep reminding my friends on the left, that, for instance, those engaged in this impeachment drama at the moment. Okay, let's say that Donald Trump loses next year, and let's say Republicans win the House and the Senate. Do we immediately commence impeachment proceedings against Elizabeth Warren? Is this how we're going to settle differences these days? Um, that's something, again, that's the breaking part of America and, and something we all need to think very hard about. Well, they don't, as Harry Reid didn't when he changed the rules of filibuster. Right. And the problem we have, and, and I worry about this a lot in the book, is that you know and I know that Washington does not improve its behavior. Once you lower the bar, it's just a race for people well, to keep so lowering important. the bar. That's real important. So I want to get to more chapters of your book. Again, folks, the book by Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, Resistance at All Costs, How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. Uh, This is almost, uh, I don't know if unfair is the word, but I I don't like talking about this because it, it, I don't, it's a tough issue. But did, did you leave, when you wrote your last word, did you leave with any optimism for our country? 
I do have optimism. In part, I'm a naturally optimistic person. That's why you get up and fight every day like you do, right? I mean, if you if you think there's no hope, then you wouldn't do that. <laughs> so, um, but there's there's a couple of reasons for optimism. One, I think people are becoming more aware of this bad behavior and uh, and beginning to resent it. Okay, um, I think that's that. I think that you also see some people who are figures of authority trying very hard to get the truth to Americans. I'm very hopeful that Bill Barr is going to release the information that we have been waiting so long for that explains how we got to the whole Mueller and Trump-Russia collusion craziness. Um, Because if you do that, you're taking the first steps to restoring some integrity to the FBI and the Department of Justice and the government. And that's the sort of thing that, that, you know, at least in that regard, fixes the damage in that it it, it is beginning to make people once again have some trust. That's the problem that we've got at the moment in terms of a lot of this. But but we have a lot more to go. We need civil service reform, for instance, to stop these kind of bureaucratic uprisings that we're seeing, the leaks that are coming out. Um, You know, and we need to also elect people who take their duties more seriously, uh, take impeachment seriously, take Senate confirmation seriously, and don't just play partisan politics all the time. Uh, I'd like you... Well, you gave already some examples of the lowering of the bar in so many arenas, like like the impeachment process, like the press. Any other arenas that come to mind? Um, oh, yes, the intelligence agencies. So why don't you give us a little of your of your assessment of Comey? Well, I think that this is one of the more damaging examples, right? You know, to this day, I think a lot of Americans, when they hear the words, Jim Comey opened a counterintelligence investigation during an election into a sitting presidential campaign on the basis of opposition research given to him by the rival campaign, it's a like awe-inspiring, mouth-dropping thought. It's incredible that someone would use power in such a way. And then you go into the details, which your listeners are very familiar with. But again, one of the things I try to do in the book is provide concrete examples uh, and, and specific instances where people broke either standards or rules or regulations and their desire to achieve a political outcome. And so you don't just have the opening of that investigation, but you have the way in which the FBI wasn't honest with the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court in obtaining its warrants, uh, you know, not telling them the exact details of where they obtained this dossier, the fact that this person was in the employ of the rival campaign. Um, you have the fact that Jim Comey went, and to me, this remains one of the most uh, obnoxious things that Jim Comey ever did, and it says everything about his character and what he was up to. He goes on January 6th of 2017 to give a briefing to the president-elect about Russian interference in our election and does not tell him that his agency had an active counterintelligence investigation open into his campaign. Now, remember, this is at the same time that Comey is telling Trump that he's not the focus of anything. And for many, many months afterwards, the FBI would insist 
that it was only ever a few outliers in the Trump campaign they were looking at. Why didn't you tell the president? Well, I think he didn't because we now know he went in there hoping that the president would say something incriminating about himself. That came out in the most recent IG report. So it's this is just this is not how you operate. And we know that Jim Comey, we again, two IG reports that have pointed out that he broke the rules, that he was insubordinate. This is a guy who felt as though the rules didn't apply to him. And and that's is a very broke? powerful agency to have someone with that level of arrogance in charge of is broke the rules the same as broke the law. I don't know yet, and I'm going to leave it. I am not a lawyer, Dennis, and I'm not trying to skate out of this. Um, I'm just saying that I'm going to leave it to the inspector general and to the Department of Justice to decide that. Because, And I say that meaningfully in that I, I worry sometimes that too often we think that the only measure of accountability are people in jumpsuits and, uh, you know, orange jumpsuits going to jail. And I, I just want to state for the record, I think it's really important as a society as well that we remember that often just getting fired or being called a disgrace is is the disgrace that it is. And no matter how much the media is presenting Jim Comey as a hero, this guy is the only person in the history of the FBI to get canned and with cause. Wow. And with cause. Yep. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Kimberly Strassel's book is up at DennisPrager.com. How much time do we have here? We do? Oh, good. Oh, very good. Let me continue with Kimberly then. That's great. Sorry, Kimberly. I thought I had to uh, take a break. So so James Comey, uh, does this whole thing with him and uh, CIA and other areas of the intelligence... Let me, let me, I'll ask it on a personal note. I, I admit to being surprised at the level of corruption at the top of intelligence agencies. Was I naive? I think we were all naive, Dennis. I, I think that this is inconceivable to many people. Here's the thing. I remember talking to Devin Nunes, who used to run the House Intelligence Committee, and by the way, who Yeoman's work That's discovering right. yes. this information, and we shouldn't forget that. And I give him a big shout-out in the book because, you know, against incredible obstruction and against a terrible media narrative, they doggedly got to the bottom of a bunch of this. And, and thankfully, because otherwise we wouldn't know. You say, I was not alone in being surprised at the level of is is the word corruption too severe at the at the highest echelons of intelligence i don't think that's too severe a word and no you were not alone and i was saying that i was remember talking to devin nunes and I asked him specifically, I said, so you sit and sat on the intelligence committee for a long time and you helped write a lot of these rules about surveillance and counterintelligence laws. Is there anything actually in the counterintelligence laws that says that you can't open a counterintelligence investigation into a presidential campaign or to a political campaign? And he looked at me and he goes, no, because it was such an insane idea. It was such against everything that these laws were written for that we would never have assumed anyone would do it. But if we had thought that, we'd have put in a prohibition against it. So my point being is that nobody ever expected that this was a way that a counterintelligence probe would be used. Wow. So is is it conceivable that 
James Comey would be indicted? I don't know. And here's a couple of reasons why. One, because don't forget how sly and smart this guy is. You know, one of the reasons he was not indicted for leaking information is that even though some of it was classified, he went out of his way to make sure that it did not go through a classification review while he was still on the job. So he could later claim that it wasn't classified when he leaked it. <laughs> Clever, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, he's a lawyer, first and, and foremost. And uh, for all the shenanigans that went on there, he probably has a pretty good grip of what the law is. And the question is, did he break the law? That will be for us to find out when the IG report comes out and the Durham information comes out. My sense is that and this is purely conjecture, uh, is that uh, Brennan is behind much of this. What's your take? That's going to be an essential part of the answers we need because it hasn't received enough attention. And I'm not sure I'm trying to lower expectations or just set the right expectations for people. We may not get an answer to that as part of the inspector general report. And here's why, because he is supposed to look at behavior within DOJ and FBI, um, and CIA is somewhat out of his purview. And moreover, the inspector general, remember, does not have the ability to subpoena people, does not have the ability to impanel a grand jury, cannot demand folks who are outside of his currently working within the Department of Justice to come and talk to him. Um, so this may be a question we get from uh, answered from Durham. Um, and I think it's going to be really important because, remember, we have very strict prohibitions against the CIA conducting any form or fashion of a domestic operation. And big question for me is how close to that line did Brennan come or did he cross it? Well, right. Uh, my sense is that unless one has a, a complete revelatory experience like the people who wrote The, the God That Failed – who were communists and then realized that they they had followed something evil. I I don't think that John Brennan, who was uh, either a communist or voted communist, I I don't think that really ever occurred to him. I think, I don't say he is, I'm not charging him with being a member of the Communist Party, but it's hard for me to believe that he, he is not that far left to this day. Well, one of the reasons it's not hard to believe is because he left the CIA and took took a position as a political commentator. I mean, I think this speaks volumes, right, Dennis? We just forget. And again, standards. We've had many CIA directors in the past, and they have understood that that position, you need to be a little bit removed from partisan politics. It's a serious job in the government, right? It's You're charged with protecting the national security of the United States, and you need to go about it with some gravitas. Uh, I think the real fault here, and I'm a big fan of laying accountability at the correct feet of the correct people, accountability here somewhat goes to Barack Obama, who put a man into that position who was clearly a partisan. Um, and, you know, he immediately left, went and took a job on a, a, a liberal cable network. Uh, and it's astonishing to me, just as a separate point, that that cable network lets a guy who has been accused of being central in this mismanagement stand there and continue to give what they claim are unbiased opinions on all of this. 
I didn't know that. He is now a commentator where at CNN and MSNBC. Where is he? I think it's MSNBC. And don't uh, I like to be accurate and things. No, I, I know you do. Right. So finally, are Americans becoming aware of the the Trump haters? What is your word? Breaking of America? Or do you think it's still reserved to, to mostly Republicans and conservatives? I think there are a lot of Americans. I'll tell you, Dennis, when I go out, I, I speak to a lot of average Americans. And one thing that is very interesting to me is that I have spoken to people who, since Donald Trump was elected, have been on the fence, not necessarily about his policies. They like his policies. They don't particularly always like his attitude or his behavior, okay? And what's been interesting to me is nonetheless how much more committed they have to reelecting him, not even almost despite of him, because they this is no longer in their minds about him. It's about the tactics that have been mm-hmm. used against him mm-hmm. and they feel they need to reject that. And I, I find that a very interesting interesting phenomenon. Well you did great. Thank you, Kimberly Strassel. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Special woman. Special book, special woman. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com.